seated. Well, as Mark comes this morning, um, I, I need to make one announcement. The announcement is that if you are a painter um, and you don't spill paint, if you're a bad painter, we don't want you, but if you're a good painter and you don't spill paint, then this Saturday at 1 o'clock we're going to be painting uh, some in the basement. And uh, there was some new paint down there, and, and it looked white, and the old paint looked yellow. So we needed to paint the rest. So we're looking for some help Saturday. Um, and then as – it's weird when someone's behind you. Um, no, you stay. No, 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 you stay right there. Um, I feel like I should probably introduce our speaker. Some of you were here throughout the weekend. Some of you weren't. Uh, this is Reverend Mark Holcomb. He's the chaplain at Olivet Nazarene University. Um, his, his mom, Sandy, is here as well, so we, he can't go anywhere without her. Um, huh? I tried to make her stand, but she wouldn't do it. She just waved. So I won't, I'm not going to ask her to stand. I'll just embarrass her even more. Um, but Sandy, we really are glad you're here. Um, Mark's dad, Jack, pastored this church for about 10 years uh, in the 90s, basically all through the 90s. And so this morning, Mark comes, and I could give you his resume, which would list that he's the, he w- was the global president of youth ministry for the Church of the Nazarene, and, and it's a long resume, and I won't give it to you, but I'll say this. Um, he's a good guy, he's a friend and a mentor, and uh, unfortunately for all of you Michigan fans, he's a Buckeye fan. So uh, <laughs> I just thought I would throw that out there as my Easy. parting shot before, before he goes. So, so Mark, Mark, they're all yours. You're not in any friendlier territory, Mr. Golden Domer, so... How's that, huh? As a matter of fact, if I can say it this way, you are the enemy of probably everyone in this room (laughs) who might be Michigan, Michigan State, or a beloved Buckeye. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Oh, there is another Irish in here. I'm so sorry for that. (laughs) Hey, uh, listen, you guys know, a a lot of you knew my dad, and when, when uh, one of the things, when he, when he passed away, you know, you go through and you, you learn a lot about people uh, when you go through closets, right, Mom? So we had a closet in the basement in Schoolcraft, and I went through the closet, and, and get this now. Now, my dad, my dad was born and raised in Akron, Ohio, raised me a Buckeye. So I, I, I came by it honestly, all right? I, I grew up in Michigan, but I came by it honestly. But in my dad's closet were Ohio State sweatshirts and coats. True, Mom, right? Michigan State, sweatshirts and coats. U of M, sweatshirts and coats. And Notre Dame, sweatshirts and coats. I don't get that. I'm sorry. I just... So I I am not like my father. Um, Everything in my closet is either scarlet and gray or purple and gold, so... Which is Olivet's colors, if you're not familiar. Hey, you guys have been very kind and gracious to me all weekend, and I, I told them in the first service that um, if you've been here all four services, you're probably like me, you're getting tired of hearing me talk, because I'm getting tired of hearing me talk. Um, but I want to just uh, try and, uh, in a nutshell, tell you where we've been this weekend, because I did hear someone in the hallway saying, where were you this year? You know, it's all been sequential, and if you've missed it, you so I want to try and help, help uh, at least you guys understand where we, where we have come from and where we're going. We've been talking about things related to the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God is like. And we started off Friday night by this weird imagery that Jesus uses about um, saying the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed and like yeast, which to a Jew would have been, uh, you would have crossed circuits because, you know, the Jews are all about cedars of Lebanon, oaks and righteousness, not a seed that grows into a shrub (laughs) 
or yeast that you can't see. And one of the things that Jesus is trying to help us see, I think, in that teaching is, first of all, that the kingdom of God at times comes in ways that we don't expect. We can't see it. We, we, we have who-to-thunk moments. You know, the, I could have had a V8 commercial where it's kind of like those moments where we're just kind of slapping our forehead going, wow, I didn't see that coming. Or to realize as well that just like yeast, when Jesus uses that parable, works, it, its work isn't complete until it's worked through the whole batch of dough. Um, we never have to wonder if God is present in every person and in every situation. Now that doesn't mean, you know, we believe in evil, we believe in depravity, we believe that people by their own choices, left to their own devices, are capable of doing some pretty terrible things. You and I both know that. But we also believe that God is seeking to redeem everyone in every situation all the time for the sake of his kingdom. And he uses the, this weird imagery of the smallest of seeds, a mustard seed, and yeast. And then we talked about in trying as people of the kingdom to express what we believe, what I like to say our kingdom ethic, um, we've lost our table manners, I think. And I used the imagery of a dining room table and talked a lot about what that means Saturday morning from the effect that I, one of the things that I, I, I said it this way, I, di I didn't say it this morning, Aaron, but I said, it, I said it this way, I said, wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't it be good, if, wouldn't it be great if people started saying this about the church? I don't agree with them, but they sure are nice people. I don't agree with what they believe, but man, that's really a nice guy. Or that woman is, she's really nice. And I want to be their friend. I don't agree with what they're saying, but wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great if that was, again, could be said about the church? Now, I'm not saying that, you know, just by the sheer fact of some of the things we believe, that's abrasive enough, Right? Um, it's, it's contrarian enough to some of the values that the word, world holds. But there's a way to be gracious in speaking about what we believe and, and living from an ethic. There's also an etiquette, if I can say it that way. So I, 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 one of the things that I said is I hope in the, in the process of being kingdom people that we don't lose our table manners. Um, and then last night I talked about the, the, the weird imagery that, that is used in the story of Palm Sunday, which you guys will revisit again in four weeks, about how, you ever thought about this from the perspective that the masses were like throwing palms and throwing coats on the road, and when Jesus was coming in uh, to Jerusalem, and then all of a sudden they just left. They're gone. They were ready to riot. They were ready to fight. This was the kingly Messiah that they had waited for. He was on the road of a king coming back from a victorious battle. The same road that David would have been coming down through the Kidron Valley before he entered the palace when he, remember, took off his clothes and he got uh, rebuked by his wife for dancing naked in front of all the concubines and she wasn't very happy with him about that. That's the road that Jesus was on. So they're, throw, they're waving palms just like they would have for David when he had come back from a victorious battle. And they're throwing their coats on the road to lay the path for the foal. But the problem was Jesus didn't continue on the road of the victorious king. But he, what I, the imagery that I used is I said he turned left. Instead of going straight, he took the fork to the left. Which as you know, if you read Luke's account, led right to the temple. He didn't come to... He didn't come to renew uh, the, Jewish as a the Jews as a nation. He came to redeem his church. 
And the first thing he did when he got to the temple was he went to the place of prayer for those who were outcasts, for those who weren't clean, for those who couldn't get, go into the temple. They had to pray on a porch. And that's where they'd set up their wares to sell. And what does Jesus do? He goes in and he says, look, man, you have taken a place of prayer for those that you don't welcome into my house and turned it into a den of thieves. And then you know what he did. It's a pretty violent scene, actually. He throws them out, trying to create space again for those that are marginalized and pushed to the side. But also talking about the fact that when Jesus turned left, he took the road of a suffering servant. He didn't stay on the road of a conquering king. And how when he did that, he lived fully into his humanity. In other words, he didn't, he didn't say, I am God, and I am going to live into the claims of what it means to be God. What he said in that moment is, you know what? I'm fully human. I'm just like Mark Holcomb, and I'm just like every other person in this room, and I'm going to live fully into my humanity. By going left, I'm going to say, I completely know what it means to go through everything that you face. I'm going to suffer I'm going to die. So he took the road of a suffering servant. And he is our savior. And he is our king, but he's not just our king. He's also, he's also our savior and a servant who knows exactly what it is for us to face the things in this life that we face. So we can keep him off at a distance, right? We can walk in life like this and not allow God to be fully human as he intends to be through Jesus. Or we can say no. Enter into my situation. So, Aaron, the situation with the family who's lost a six-year-old child, I can't even imagine the grief. But to realize that Jesus, even in the midst of that, is, is wanting, why didn't the situation change? I don't know. Why does God allow six-year-olds to die of cancer? I have no clue. But I can tell you God didn't kill him, but in the midst of the pain, because Jesus went left that day, he's right there with them fully human fully engaged in the pain that they feel and then he, you know what Hebrews says Hebrew, Hebrews paints this picture where he's sitting at the right hand of the father whispering into the father's ear exactly what it is that family feels in this moment because since Jesus knows he can tell the father what's happening and then the father turns loose the resources of heaven and is surrounding that family even now with his love that's amazing. It's an amazing picture of this Jesus and all that he did for us. Well, that's not even my message, but how do we, how do we respond to a God who has graciously made this move our way? Um, who turned left, who modeled for us what it means to give our lives away for those that even at times the church has pushed to the margins that even at times the church has been unwelcoming to. What does kingdom living look like for us? I'm, I'm going to be very honest with you. I, I wish that this was an easy question for us to answer and that you could leave with three easy steps, right? Where you can go and we're going to do these three things and we're going to be kingdom people, but it's not that easy. Um, that's not what it's, because it's life. It's day in, day out, living within the power of the Spirit, enabling us to face what we go through. Um, we, all, we all would just like it to be as simple as getting answers, but that's not really what it's about. And honestly, I think more times than not, I have stumbled my way into what we would consider wins. You know, I've kind of tripped into them uh, along the journey. I've realized over the years that as I've planned and implemented and discussed and designed and tweaked and and, and, and 
I still deal with results that if, if I'm honest with you, I don't know how I got here. I don't know how this happened at this time, in this moment. And it frustrates me at times, but then I have to just take a step back and realize, you know what? He's God and I'm not. And he's going to work in ways that are best for his kingdom, not mine. And if I want to partner with him, if I want to be about his kingdom, then I have to fall in line with the things that he's about. But I think sometimes I miss it. I, I, and I, there's a lot of different reasons for that, but I think I miss it. His name was Corey. He was a sophomore in high school. He partied like a fish, dated the ladies for all the wrong reasons, and at least from the perspective of his youth pastor, who happened to be me, he wanted to go on a mission trip to Mexico so he could hang out at the beach and go to Universal Studios. That was my opinion anyways. I had no sense for what God was doing in his heart, how God was working on him, shaping him for his purposes, until I watched something happen the last day that we were in Mexico, we, we'd gone to Mexico to work with Amor Ministries, which is a, a ministry that works in border towns, primarily in Mexico, to build homes for house, uh, homeless families. And while Corey was there working on a home, uh, the, the family that you're building it for always works with you. So there was this, I don't know whether he was 12, 13, 14, 15, I don't know how old he was. But Corey had developed a friendship with the young man whose name was Jaime. I'm, and I, I don't even know why to this day I remember his name. But we were about building a house for Jaime, his family, and his little sister. And one of the things that we noticed is every night when we left the work site, every, every night when we left the building site, he would, when we were pulling away in the vans, he would crawl underneath the stack of building materials that were by his house. Um, and he, we watched him do that the first couple nights, and then we asked the, 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 the Amor person who was there helping us. What's he doing? Why is he doing that? And he went on to explain to us that if, if Jaime doesn't sleep under the building materials during the, during the night, somebody's going to come and steal it. And it'll, when we come to work the next day, the materials will be gone. So Corey watched him Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, crawl underneath the wood, curling up in a ball as we pulled away. So the last day, which was Wednesday, it was late in the afternoon, um, we were all saying our goodbyes as much as you can say goodbye, you know, speaking our Spanglish, right? Because um, they don't know English and we don't know Spanish, so we're trying to communicate with people. Um, and so we were saying goodbye and there were tears and there were hugs. And our vans were parked kind of up on a hill and then there was like these two plateaus. First plateau was the first house, second plateau was Jaime's. And I, I watched something happen that um, was puzzling to me because I didn't see this coming. I watched Corey walk over to Jaime and take off his prized Levi's denim blue jean jacket, which was a big deal back in the day, who had watched Jaime crawl underneath a stack of wood all week with no blankets, no coat, and give Jaime his prized Levi's blue jean jacket. He gave it to him. And I stood on the hill just going, whoa. <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. I just thought he was here to go to Universal Studios, a taping of a TV show, and hang out at the beach. But I never expected that God could be at work in Corey's life. There were any number of students that were on that trip that it would have just been natural for them to have done something like that, but not Corey. Nope, not hard partying like a fish, dating the girls for all the wrong reasons, Corey. 
But I, I realized in that moment that God was at work in his life in ways that I didn't see. See, this kingdom is one where we get a sense that God works through us. And other times, he works in ways that we don't always recognize. As a matter of fact, sometimes I think he even works in spite of us. Sometimes he even has to work around me, like he did in that moment. I'm grateful for the fact that he does that. That God's activity in this world is not limited to mine. Or the way God thinks about you is not limited to the way I think about you. Or the labels that God puts on you are not the labels that I put on you. I'm still trying to learn how God works by watching him and listening to what he says. There's a parable that he told in Luke chapter 8 that I want to read to you. I, I told Aaron I planned on reading the passage last night. And I forgot my cheaters, so um, I remembered them today. So we're going to read Luke chapter 8. I'm going to be, begin reading with verse 4 and reading through verse 10 if you want to turn there with me. Um, and I'm reading from the Kingdom New Testament. It might be a little different than your translation. But Luke 8, 4 through 10. This is what Jesus taught. A large crowd came together and people came to him from town after town. And he spoke to them in, in parables or stories. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he was sowing, some fell by the road and was trodden on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on stony ground, and when it came up, it withered because it didn't have any moisture, and other seed fell in among thorns, and when the thorns grew up, they choked it, and other seed fell into good soil and came up and gave a hundredfold yield. Very familiar story, isn't it? As he said this, he called out, if you've got an ear, listen to what I've said. You know, I've heard a lot of different sermons on this, and we've, we talk often about the re- receptivity of the soil, and we should. We talk about the role that we play in helping to prepare the soil, so to speak, in people's lives, right? And we should. We talk about the dying and living plants, and we should. We concern ourselves with the attention. Um, we give the soil, and we should. We even talk about the hundredfold return for the seed that was scattered on the good soil, and we should. I ask a different question. I I ask another question about this parable. What about the extravagant scattering of the seed? Or what about the waste? You ever think about that? I mean, what about the blatant disregard of this one who was a farmer? Of where the seed landed when he threw it? I I, I live in Illinois. I, I live in farm country, right? They, they will start as soon as the permafrost melts. Uh, but as soon as that happens, they'll start tilling the soil to prepare it for the corn or soybeans or, or wheat or whatever else they're going to plant. But that doesn't happen um, in this story. The, the sower, this farmer who should know that you till soil before you plant it, it just seems to be throwing the seed everywhere, doesn't he? What, what's that all about? Am I the only one that cares? Um, well, if I am, you get to go on the journey with me trying to figure this out this morning. But the one throwing the seed, who was he anyways? Where, where is it landing? Why would he throw it there? Doesn't he know what type of soil that is? He's a farmer after all, right? See, this, 
this is a story of what has been going on up to this point, the way the Luke tells the story of Jesus. Because see, up to this point, at least the way Luke tells it, the only ones who've been receptive to the seed, so to speak, are the outsiders, the hookers, the tax collectors, the Gentiles, you know, like we talked about Friday night, them, you know, them. Like we would have seen that coming, right? You know, the hard partying like a fish, dating the ladies for all the wrong reasons kind of people. You know who they are? I mean, when if ever has God been at work there? Why would anyone want to throw anything at them? Isn't that a waste? And then the 12 that Jesus picked to be his messengers, you know, those that would carry on the message, he could have picked educated people at least, right? I mean, pick somebody who's got a college education, Jesus, come on. But no, he picks tax collectors and fishermen and these people that just had these trades. He, he, you know, they, they were just this ragtag group of uneducated men. This can't be then the one we were waiting for. And if you remember, we even talked about that this weekend. Remember John, his cousin, the one who saw the dove come out of the sky, the one who... The one who, it said, leapt in the womb of his mother Elizabeth when Mary came and said that she was pregnant with the Messiah. This John sent somebody, sent his disciples when he was in prison to ask Jesus, are you the one or should we wait for another? I mean, that's the guy. Well, this can't be the right Jesus. This can't be the one we've, waiting, where we've been waiting for, right? God certainly doesn't work in them, out there, in this way. Does he? Well, his name was Mark. Everyone called him Marky. He loved to play hockey. And his love fit the stereotype of what it meant to be a hockey player. He played hard and he lived hard. He wasn't a difficult kid. Um, he never gave his youth pastor a difficult time, who again happened to be me. Um, he just didn't have much concern for God at that point in his life. Didn't really care about what God meant what he was about, how that would translate or define his life. He wasn't belligerent, you know. I mean, he wasn't really rebellious. He just didn't care. He was dating a girl from the youth group, and honestly, as a youth pastor, I was very concerned about their relationship. I loved Marky. I got along with him. But I didn't see any evidence of God in his life until one day I'll never forget. I had just resigned as youth pastor at, this, at his, the church, and about a week after, I got a phone call from his mom. She said that Mark wanted to talk with someone, and she thought I was the best one to call. So I asked her what it was about, and she said that he had some questions about God. And she said that she thought he was ready to enter into a relationship with him, and I just kind of sat there, and I didn't laugh, but I, 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 I thought, Marky? Seriously? Hockey playing, hard living, Jolene Dayton, Marky? I was curious, I was somewhat confused, and so I went to see him at his home. And it wasn't long before I realized in my conversation with him that God had been doing something in Mark. He'd been pouring the spiritual tenderizer on his heart. And we didn't talk long before I realized that Marky didn't want his life to continue to go in the direction that it was headed. And he wanted Jesus to rescue him. I was surprised, but I knew what to do. And so, 
at his kitchen table at 3.45 in the afternoon on a cold January Michigan day. Marky's life changed forever. He married that girl, his high school sweetheart, Jolene. You know where they are? They're in Indonesia with three of their kids serving as work and witness coordinators for an organization that helps churches build churches and parsonages for pastors. I follow them on Facebook. I get their, I get their monthly newsletter, and every time I see their pictures, I look back to that moment around a kitchen table and I'm just still blown away at the ways that God works in the lives of people, especially in ways that we can't see. Marky's a story of grace. Corey's a story of grace. I'm a story of grace, and so are you. We're all here because someone was willing to freely scatter seed, even in places and in lives, and with me, maybe, and maybe you, at times, when it didn't appear that God was anywhere near us. But we know better, don't we? Philip Yancey, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, says that I would far rather convey grace than explain it. Who I like that. Wouldn't it be great I said this, and I might have, I don't remember, now I'm not remembering what I've said and what I haven't said, sorry. That's what happens when you speak four times in less than 48 hours, and you're getting tired of hearing yourself talk, you know what I mean? Um, but wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be great if people started saying about the church, I did say this already, didn't I? Yeah. But I don't agree with them, but they're, they're nice people. Jason Robertson, who's a prophet or School of Theology and Christian Ministry at Olivet shared with our student leaders three ways we cultivate soil, and I wrote them down as he spoke, and I want to share them with you this morning. The first thing he said is we confess our own need and our own ways that we have sinned against people. We accept the love and mercy that has been extended to us, and then we give it to others in the same way that we have received it. See, grace to the outsider makes no sense, and too often grace to the insider is confusing. I have been confused by the way God has worked graciously in the lives of people. I mean, God at work at Corey, God at work in Marky, God at work in Brian and Nate and Jeff and Rich and Brandon and Lisa and Jason and Todd, and the list could go on and on and on. These are all people I know. But who are some of the people whose names you would write in there? My name's in the list too, honestly. I mean, there's no way. Right? There's no way God is at work there or in them right now, is there? Or is he? Her name's Jody. Jody met Brian at a party. Brian's dad was on the board at the church that I was youth pastor at, and Brian had gotten away from the Lord. And Brian and Jody met at a party at a high school, and they went, were at the party for the reasons that high schoolers usually go to parties. Jody's mom was agnostic. She was divorced, remarried to an atheist. She had no faith background at all. And they dated, they started dating in October, and it was around December when Jody started asking Brian. 
can I go to church with you? Brian had to go to church. His dad was on the board, right? I mean, you know what I mean? And Brian was like, no. And Jody's like, no, really, I'd like to go to church with you. And Brian's like, no, I don't want you to go to church with me. She's like, why not? She goes, because there's nothing there. You don't need to go. So she kept harping on him. It was two, three weeks. And then I remember it was sometime in December. I'm not really sure when. And Brian came with this girl that we had heard that he was dating. Her name was Jody. And they sat over here in the church that I was at. So I walked over and introduced myself to her. And that day, uh, the high schoolers went to church first, and then they went to Sunday school. And she told Brian they were going to leave, and she said, I want to go to Sunday school. And he was like, Jody, you're driving me crazy. You don't want to go to Sunday school. No, I really do. So they went, and at the, at the, at, in her Sunday school class, she heard about a high school retreat. And she looked at Brian, and she said, are you going? And he's like, no, I'm not going to the high school retreat. She goes, well, I am. You can come if you want to, but I'm going anyways. Brian's like, seriously, you're driving me crazy. So that weekend, we had a special speaker, and you know what happened on that weekend? When they were given opportunity to respond to this call of God on their life, whether they wanted their life to be forever changed, the trajectory of their life to, to begin to go in a different direction, I still remember the look on Brian's face when all he did, there was only like 10 or 12 kids in the room. He said, if you want to, just turn and kneel at your chair. And Brian's sitting next to Jody with a baffled look on his face, watched her turn and kneel at her chair, messed him up. Agnostic Jody, who we met at a high school party, comes to faith at a high school retreat. The last thing rebellious church brat Brian wanted had just happened. And Jody's life was forever changed. And it messed him up so bad he came back to faith. Ha! And they got married. And they have two kids now. And it's just amazing. See, we think that we know what God is up to, and oftentimes we have no idea. We think we can predict the ways that God is going to work, and then he always blows us away by the things that he does. It's always better than we could have imagined, isn't it? Always. It's always in places we didn't think possible. It's even in people that we think are unreachable. In Matthew's account of the story that we read this morning, it's embedded in a chapter full of surprises. One of them is where we started Friday night. This seed and yeast, this who to thunk. And he puts these stories together. God's kingdom coming in the form of a bush or yeast. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, all over the place is this seed is just thrown. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give the same picture in this parable. That this God works however he deems necessary, whenever he thinks and wherever he thinks best, and whatever way he makes possible. See, God is at work everywhere. You know that? You believe that? God is at work everywhere, in everyone, at all times, so that everyone has the possibility of being restored to live in him. Right after the parable of the sower in Matthew's, the parable of the weeds among the wheat, you remember their response to those in the story? Remember they wanted to go in? Kind of like James and John when we talked the other night when they walked through Samaria and the towns weren't welcoming them and they wanted to nuke them. You know, call down fire, torch the city. Remember that? It's a great scene. Yeah. These guys wanted to go in and just tear the weed out. 
there's wheat growing among the, the, the weeds growing among the wheat in there. Let's go tear it out. But, but God said no. The response was, the harvester who's always the, the wise one tells them to wait until the harvest because in trying to pull weeds, you might also pull some wheat. And then he says it's not always easy to tell them apart. Now that's really confusing and bothersome, isn't it? So let's wait until we're clear. And then it will be taken care of when made clear. And leave it up to the one who knows anyways, right? So we think we know all the time what God's up to, but do we really? George Hunter, who's a professor of evangelism at Asbury, says that 30 years ago it probably took five significant encounters before a person would be ready to either accept or reject the claims of Christ. Today, he argues that it usually takes no less than 20 to 25, and what he says is, if you're having conversation with somebody about it, it's only a few who are privileged to be the one who leads them into that relationship. More times than not, you are just setting the table for someone else. You're throwing seed. It's what we do. We talk about this life. We live it, and we throw seed. We talk about it, we live it, and we throw out some more seed. Ah, you're just wasting it on that person. No. We talk about it, we live it, and we throw some more seed. Well, I'm not sure why you're wasting your time on them. Don't you know what they do? Don't you know who they are? Don't you know the family they come from? Yeah, yeah, I know. We just talk about it, and we live it. And we throw some more. Don't you know who they date? Don't you know what they do on the weekends? Don't you know where them fro they're from? Yeah, I know. So we talk about it. And we live it. And we throw some more seed. I tried throwing it over there once, and it got trampled. They walked all over it. They can't follow through on any decision. Don't you know that? They're so bound by that addiction, they'll never get this. They're 50 miles wide and an inch deep. I know. We're the church. We're the kingdom. We're kingdom folk. We talk about it. We live it. We throw seed. I wonder, how about it? As we leave this place, as we move out of this weekend into our world that desperately needs the church to be the church. They, the world needs us to give them a compelling call of what life can be. One that Jesus himself said is full and abundant. How do we do that? We talk about it. We live it. We throw seed. David Cronick in his book, Living Mission, says this, It is precisely where it looks most God-forsaken that Jesus is intimately near. Let me tell you something. God is at work in Syria. He is. There are Nazarenes in Syria. Did you know that? But we're not the only... God is at work in Syria. God is at work in Crimea. The church is alive and well and thriving in Venezuela. The places that we're afraid to enter into, 
God is at work. He is everywhere at all times, places where it looks like it's thorny and hard ground. But you know why God is at work there? Because we've talked about it and we've lived it. We throw seed. We never need to wonder whether God is at work there. And yes, even in them. So I wonder if you would join me in talking about it. Living it. Throwing some seed. Father God, I pray that you call us to be kingdom people and that you fill us with your spirit so we can do it. Father, I pray that you would help us to live lives of confession when we fall short of that. Realizing that confession enables us to live the life that you call us to live. So Father God, I pray in this moment that you challenge our heart as only you can. That your spirit does the work that your spirit does best. So speak to us, Father. Your servants are listening. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.